0: Luke chapter 23 this morning. Luke chapter 23. If you have been attending over the last few months, it should be no surprise that I would take us to Luke's account. We have been preaching through the book of Luke on Sunday mornings. We haven't quite gotten this far, but some of what we have seen in the book of Luke prepares us for understanding this morning. Someone has said that there is a pretty big space or gap between what Jesus said and what we understand. Is that true? There's a pretty big gap between what Jesus has said and what we understand. And I, I think it's a very true statement. And, and quite honestly, it's not, the gap isn't because Jesus is hard to understand. Most of what Jesus had to say is pretty easily understood, It's fairly easily grasped and understood. But I think the gap is there because our understanding is affected by several things. It's affected by experience, by our feelings, by doubt and unbelief. Sometimes our understanding is affected by bad teaching or no teaching at all. And so there is this gap. But this is not the first group of people where there's been a space between what Jesus has said and our understanding. The very first disciples had a big gap between what Jesus said and what they understood. And that is greatly illustrated this morning when we come to the tomb of Jesus Christ. It's greatly illustrated this morning. And this morning we are going to focus on the resurrection of Christ. In, In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, It's the truth that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day, and that he calls this the gospel by which we're being saved. It's by which we're being rescued from the penalty of sin and reconciled to God himself. This message, the message of the resurrection, is the central message of scripture. It, all of scripture points to this message that we're going to talk about today, the message of resurrection. It's of it's vital importance to every person in this room. Whether you want to believe so or not, what you do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing you will ever do in your life. If, if you believe that he truly rose from the dead and you respond to that, you gain much. If you don't believe, if you doubt it, if you, if you reject it as just a story, you reject it as not meaning or not meant for you. You do it at your own peril. And so this morning, it's not just for our salvation, but it's for our living. Christian, in this room, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is more important than than any other event you've ever been associated with. And it's not just important for your salvation, it's important for your day-to-day living. In fact, every Sunday when we gather, we ought to be saying, he is risen. Not just on Easter Sunday. So let's turn to Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read beginning in verse 50 and read down through chapter 24 and verse 12. On Friday night, when we left here, <laughs> Paul reminded us that <laughs> as we left here, and if we'd have been some 2,000 years ago, we leave Jesus in a grave. But he reminded us Sunday's coming. Sunday's here, folks. Sunday's here. Luke 23, verse 50, now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had yet ever been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was coming. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened... That would be our experience, that we would leave in awe today from this place and what has happened at that tomb. It's our desire that we would understand even more today when we leave here what it means to live in resurrection power. That we would understand what it means when, that Christ has risen from the dead and that we too, if we are in him, have been raised to walk in newness of life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Against this horrible black backdrop, this pall that's been cast of Christ's death, I want you to see this one bright spot in chapter 23. Actually, it's really two bright spots, and it's two men. And one is named here. The other one is named in in other gospel accounts. But these are two of the most unlikely men that you would expect to come to Pilate and ask permission to bury Jesus. These are men who were religious leaders. These are men who had reputations in the community. These are men, Joseph and Nicodemus. We know here in chapter 23, as I read it here, that, that Joseph himself didn't consent to the decision in verse 22. I don't know, but, but in I think it's Mark's account, it's recorded for us, that it was a unanimous decision of the council that Jesus should be put to death. Joseph must not have been present when they took the vote, because it says here clearly that he didn't consent to their decision. He was against it. He was against Jesus being killed. At this point, he's, he's like really in the minority, isn't he? You ever been in the minority? You ever, you ever voted differently than everybody else and had to live with your decision and thought differently than how everybody else voted? Here he is. He's in the minority. And what are you going to do when you're in the minority? Normally, people in the minority, after the after the majority has spoken, they kind of just quiet down, don't they? And they kind of just put their tails between their legs and they... And they go back home to lick their wounds. But this death of Jesus so changed Joseph of Arimathea that he boldly, along with Nicodemus, the one in John chapter 3 who came to visit Jesus at night, they go to Pilate. Now, here's the thing you've got to understand. That council, that Sanhedrin that met, that they were a part of, they knew what happened in the Roman governor's palace. They they carefully observed what happened. They would have been known when they approached Pilate's palace to ask for permission to take Jesus' body. What courage these men who who now have been kind of in the in the dark, kind of seeking the kingdom, as it says here quietly, they're now very very much in the light, if you will, in seeking the kingdom. And so, against this black backdrop of the death of Jesus, two men stand out and they go and they ask for the body. And along with some faithful women, they prepare the body and they bury Jesus. Who's missing at this scene? Who who should be at this scene? The disciples. They're not there. They're not there. But before we're too hard on them, would we be there? Would you be there? Would I be there? And so these two men take and bury Jesus, and then Luke gives to us in chapter 24 three encounters that Jesus has on the day of his resurrection. And in a way that is just masterful, Luke takes these three encounters, and he basically follows the same template with each one of these encounters. And the template goes this way. First, we're introduced to a group, sometimes a small group, like the women who come to the tomb, or the two men who are on the road to Emmaus, or a little bit a larger group, the disciples. But in, in any case, we're first introduced to a group of people who are in emotional distress. They are emotional train wrecks. They, they are, they've totally lost it. Secondly, as a part of this template, all three of these encounters include a rebuke to those people. Have you ever been around somebody who's been emotionally distressed and you just want to smack them back to reality? In all three of these cases, they're going to get smacked back to reality. Thirdly, then they're going to get some instruction. And the instruction is the same for all three. Remember what I told you. Remember what I told you. Remember what I told you. And what we're going to see is is that in all these cases, these three groups of people now become witnesses to this great event. And they're they're sent away to be witnesses. And so as we now consider this, chapter 24, verse 1, Aaron read for us Matthew's account. We read Luke's account just moments ago. We have women who are approaching a, a, a graveside. Now, I'm not the kind of person who likes to go back to gravesides. I don't have anything against people who do. I, I don't like to go back. I don't like to go back to gravesides. I, but, but if I did, I, I would not expect to go to the graveside to find that the person who was buried be gone. When I go to a graveside, I expect to see the ground just undisturbed. I expect to see the headstone or, or whatever there, the marker. I expected to see it all as I left it. Are you with me on that? Yeah. These women are going back to the tomb to finish what they couldn't finish because of the Passover coming and because of the Sabbath coming. They're, they're going back to, to take care of, of, of something that they weren't able to do. There was a very, very much a detailed ritual of how you prepared a body to be buried. And they didn't get to do all that they were going to do. And so they're carrying these spices and probably even more wraps back to the tomb to, to, to do the job correctly in terms of preparing their Lord's body for death. I can't imagine that there would be a lot of conversation on that trip early in the morning. I can't imagine that there would be a lot of chit-chat between these women but Mark tells us that there was one point of conversation. They were worried about who was going to move the stone so that they could get into the tomb. Okay, In typical woman fashion, they run off, they got something to do, and then halfway there, they're like, oh, who's going to take care of the stone? Now I've just alienated half the room. But it goes to point out their emotional state. They want to be there, but then on the way there, they realize, (laughs) we don't have any ability to move this stone. And in their perplexed state, they get there, and verse 2, they find the stone gone and rolled away from the opening of the tomb. Can you imagine being so crushed emotionally? And on top of that, they're probably exhausted, the whole ordeal of, of watching the Lord be, be put on trial and being up all night, these women, most of them were there. They witnessed all of this. And, and they're, have you ever been so, so physically tired and exhausted and so emotionally spent that you just don't even know how to think or how to operate? That's where these women are. It's where these women are. And, and now they get there and they find that there's no stone and they find the body's gone. Okay? Don't think like someone living in 2021 here for a second because you know the end of the story, okay? Forget you know the end of the story. Can you do that for a second? You show up at a tomb, you find the body you are looking for is gone, the stone is rolled away. What is your first thought? Grave robber, right? Grave robber. On top of all the horrible injustices that have been done up until this point, the trumped up charges and, and, the, and the false conviction of, of him and the horrible death he has to die and the fact that they have to rush to get his body buried and now, on top of it all, they've stolen his body. These women, are, they're, they're at their wit's end. Verse 4, they're perplexed about this. They're perplexed. And in their perplexed state... They're going to meet two men. Luke calls them men. We know that they're angels. We know they're angels. They're they're, they're in dazzling apparel. It's the same word that we saw several weeks earlier when you were here and we were talking about the transfiguration of the Lord. It's that same kind of, that, that, that dazzling brilliance. These two angels are now there. Like that's going to calm your nerves, right? Right? And rather than words of just like, It'll be all right. Comfort. The angels give them a rebuke. Why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? It's kind of like, duh. What are you doing? What are you doing? And, and, and they say, He's not here, He's risen. And, and, and the, the rebuke is the same thing that Jesus has to do later on in, in verses 25 and 27 with the two on the road to Emmaus. He, he basically says to them, did you not know that he had to do this? It's the same rebuke that he gives to the disciples when he says to them in, 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 you know, in verse 44, don't you remember the words that I spoke to you? You see, it's easy to forget, isn't it? And here these women had forgotten. They were so consumed about doing what they felt they needed to do that they had forgotten. They had forgotten Jesus' words. I want to focus in on verse 6. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Remember how he told you when he was still in Galilee. Okay? This isn't like a hidden message that Jesus had kept hidden from them. In fact, I want you to go back and I want you to see it for yourself. So if you're in Luke chapter 23, flip back to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Because in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is wrapping up his ministry in Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. He's probably spent close to a year there. He, he's been all around the Sea of Galilee ministering in all the towns and villages. And he's been very clear in his message that the kingdom of heaven is coming and the kingdom of God is near. So that keeps talking about that. And now, towards the end of this, he says in chapter 9, verse 21, He strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Question for you. Is that hard to understand? Yes and no. Right? Yes In that he's going to be killed, and that he's going to come back to life, right? But no, we understand the concept, do we not? I'm going to be put on trial, I'm going to be handed over, they're going to kill me, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. Okay? They've heard this once. But this isn't the only time they hear it. Look further in the chapter, down to verse 44. Again, in Galilee. Again in Galilee, before, before they, the, this is all done, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Okay? That's twice he's clearly told them something bad is about to happen to me, right? If we had time, in fact, let's just take the time. Let's go to chapter 18. Chapter 18, there's a third time he tells them. This time he's not in Galilee. He's closer to Jerusalem when he says this, but there's a third time he tells his disciples. In chapter 18, verse 31, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise." Again, is that easy to understand? But is it hard to believe? Yeah. Those words are easy to understand, but his disciples have heard it three times. And so put yourself in, in the place of the disciples. And, and, and one night you're you're up in the in, in the in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they come and they arrest your your Messiah, they arrest your Lord, and they take him, and and, and you're thinking to yourself, is this what he's talking about? And then they try him, and and then they convict him, and they put him to death. You would think one of those disciples would be like, this is great, this is everything that they said was going to happen. Except, he's dead. You watched him die. You heard that he was buried. You, you, you witnessed all these things. And it's really easy to get distracted by, by our feeling, as I mentioned before. It's really, it's really easy to get distracted by, by other things that, that crowd in. And so now when he rises from the dead... There's no one there to like welcome him back, is there? If you really believed Jesus was going to rise again in three days, where would you be? I don't know about you, but I would want to be there when it happened. If I really believed it was going to happen, I would want to be there, wouldn't you? I would want to be there. I would want to see how the rock gets blown off the tomb. I would want to see him walk out. I would want to witness that event. And three times in Luke chapter 24, Jesus has to say to three different groups of people, well, in this case, it's the angels, but in the later two, it's Jesus who reminds them In verse 6, remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day arise. You go down to the account with the men on the road to Emmaus and he says to them in verse 25, Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Put yourself in the shoes of these two men who have just had their Savior taken from them. And this, this stranger who you don't realize who he is, he stops you on the road and he's asking you what you're talking about. And they're like, have you not been around? Have you not heard what happened here in Jerusalem? And, and, and his response to them is, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Like, dummies? Notice verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, taking the whole Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning to himself. So he says it to the women. He says it to the two men on the road to Emmaus. But he also deals with the disciples. But let's point out something about the disciples. Look at verse 11. What's the description of the disciples? When, When the women came back and told them what the angels had told them would you not expect a shred of excitement like it it might really be happening it it might really be happening here this thing might might be happening no these words seemed to them an idle tale there's a group of us in this room this morning that have heard this account just about every easter You've been dragged to church. You were dragged to church as a child. You're here now because you don't want to be here, but you're here because it's Easter because you got to go to church on Easter after all, right? And the things that I'm saying to you seem like an idle tale. They seem like just, it's foolishness. It's, it's, this, this, this is stuff that little kids believe in this is stuff that's good for little kids but it's not good for adults I want to tell you it transformed the life of these disciples when they finally did believe it but they didn't believe it but one guy the guy that we would expect the guy, the guy who cut off the soldier's ear in the garden the guy who's always going on half cocked Peter, he's like okay fine I bet Peter, I, I really believe Peter's running up to the grave to find the evidence of the grave robbers. He's going up there to try to figure out what's happened there. He runs, and we find out from, from the other Gospels that John goes with him. They run to the tomb, and when they get there, they're taken aback by what they find. Because the scene doesn't indicate that there's been any grave robber, the scene seems to indicate that what Christ said would happen really did happen. And so as Jesus addresses those disciples, look at verse 44. And this is what he says to them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name of all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, The key word this morning in all three of these events is remember. I don't know if you're really familiar with the resurrection story or not, but I'm guaranteeing you, because you've lived all your life in the United States of America, you have heard this before. And what I'm saying to you this morning is remember. 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 Remember, we all need to remember because because if there's a space today between your understanding and Jesus words, I would submit to you that you need to remember and you need to consider a couple things. And this is what you need to consider this morning. You need to consider first that the words of scripture are true. And then you need to consider that Jesus had to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. We sometimes look at Good Friday as a tragedy. Like, like it was the most unjust thing that ever happened and we forget this. It had to happen that way. It had to happen that way because God said it was going to happen that way. Jesus had to be delivered into the hands of wicked men. He had to be falsely accused and he had to be charged. Did you ever stop to consider this? We often think about this Age old struggle between good and evil. And and we think that Satan really triumphed on the day that Jesus died. I want to tell you, Satan wanted Jesus far away from that cross. He didn't want Jesus to die because he knew what was going to happen when he died. He had to be falsely accused and charged, he had to die on a cross as he said he would. He had to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53 and verse 9 said that he would bury, be buried amongst the wealthy. He had to be buried in a rich man's tomb. This, as I began this morning with Joseph of Arimathea, that isn't just a cute little detail in the story. It had to happen that way. It had to happen that way because God said it would. And if all those things had to happen, then he had to rise again from the dead. Why? Why? Because they all fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and they all fulfilled Jesus' words himself. Why? What does that mean to you and me today? (laughs) Well, it's so that Jesus, the God-man, the sinless one, the one who we call the Lamb of God, might be your sacrifice, might die in your place, so that his death would be an acceptable substitute to a holy God, who can't look at sin. Our death would mean nothing, only only the fact that we deserve to die. He died in our place. But if he just dies, then he's just another martyr. If If he dies, he's just another martyr, and there's been some pretty amazing martyrs that we can look through all of history and go back and look at. Jesus is not in that list. He's no martyr. He rose from the dead. And what that means is, is that you and I can escape death and judgment by trusting in his completed sacrifice. God raised Jesus as he said he would to demonstrate once and for all that Christ is powerful over even death itself and over hell. And what do you do with that when you remember that? What do you do with that? A wise person would respond to that. A wise person would understand this, that there is a space between our understanding and between what Jesus has said and understand this, that the only way that space is made up is by putting faith in Jesus Christ. But before I conclude this morning, there's also a space for those of us who are followers of Jesus between what we understand in what Jesus actually has accomplished for us. There, there's a big space there. And how do I know this? Because I know my own life. I don't even have to talk about your life. I can talk about my own heart this morning. I know that I do not live every day like I should in resurrection power. We have the benefit this morning of looking back, of reading 1 Corinthians 15 as I read it to us this morning, and and understanding that it wasn't just a few women who verified that he rose again, it wasn't just the 11 disciples, it wasn't like they all got together and made up this story and said, we saw him and he rose from the dead. There are over 500 eyewitnesses that will attest that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. We have the benefit of looking back into history and seeing that. There should be no doubt for us this morning that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And that doesn't just have salvation implications. That has everyday implications for you and me. According to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, those who are in Christ who have by faith rejected works and self-effort for salvation and are trusting in Christ's sacrifice, we have just like Christ been raised to walk in newness of life. On Easter Sunday morning, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Newness of life, daffodils and tulips and hyacinths. Everything is good. We sang really good songs in church. I feel really good. And then Monday comes. Six in the morning, you wake up. Newness of life. Believer, because of Christ's resurrection power, every day you can walk in newness of life we we live in resurrection power we have now the ability to live life the way god made us to live it in a way that glorifies him on top of that we don't have to be the slaves to sin anymore because of the victory that jesus won sin does not have to enslave us anymore that's an amazing thing we have the ability to resist temptation Not through sheer willpower, but through resurrection power that comes through Christ. No wonder Paul said this when he considered this in Philippians chapter 3, which I consider in many ways, I know it's the joy epistle, but I consider Philippians to be in many ways Paul's almost biography of his life. And he says this in Philippians chapter 3 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. What a prayer to pray every morning. Jesus, if I could just know the power of your resurrection this morning. You see, the resurrection is the greatest display of Jesus' power. It's the greatest display of his power. It's powerful enough to save us, and it's powerful enough to keep sanctifying us and setting us apart so that we can live holy in a way to please God. That's powerful. Because I'm really sinful. That's powerful stuff. In our flesh we're weak we're powerless but in his powers we're 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 more than conquerors you see i'll say it again easter sunday isn't the only day to proclaim he has risen <laughs> monday we should proclaim to ourselves he has risen <laughs> tuesday we should proclaim to ourselves he has risen by the time we get to friday we definitely need to know he's risen don't we we need to know he's risen and so this morning I would invite you to come and behold this amazing mystery. The fact that the very God of gods would set aside it all in glory to come to this earth to die in your place, to die in my place, so that we can be reconciled to God the Father. So that we can actually have fellowship with God the Father. So that we could live life the way that he intended for us to live it. And a life that's pleasing to him. So that we could have eternal life. A life that will never end. That's an amazing mystery, isn't it? It's an amazing mystery. This morning, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ... I would love to talk with you when this service is over. I would absolutely just come grab me. I'll be, I'll be out in the hallway, come grab me and say, I, I need to talk to you about this. Because here's the thing I know. <laughs> Resurrection power is still available today. It's available for, for all those who are, who are, who are in, in absolute rebellion to him. He's powerful enough to break the, the worst rebel there is. How do I know this? Because he broke me. He saved me. But if you're the child of God here this morning, don't leave Resurrection Sunday as just one day on your calendar. Don't do it what a waste of the other 364 days and i realize that some of you are never going to look this good as you look this morning in your easter best i realize some of you are never going to be as happy you're just all hyped up on sugar and donuts from your chocolate and your and all that stuff okay but i know this that apart from his resurrection power life ain't worth living life ain't worth living so I'm going to pray, and then the worship team's going to come, and we're going to conclude with one song this morning, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, who won our victory. And for those in this room this morning who, whose victory has not been claimed, may today be the day of salvation, I pray. May be, today be the day that they're made at one with, with you, Father, and reconciled to you. We thank you so much that in our wickedness, in our rebellion, and in our sin, Jesus willingly came and died so that we might be made right with God. We thank you for so great a salvation. We thank you for the resurrection. It gives us reason to live. It gives us hope. I pray that we would leave with that hope this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.